Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. Thankful for all that are gathered here with us today. If you're visiting with us for the first time, uh, my name is Brandon Reed. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here with Christ Covenant Fellowship. We want to thank you for joining us here this morning. We are certainly grateful that you have chosen to worship here with us. As Pastor Tyler alluded to, there are some uh, differences in our bulletin than what is actually happening in service this morning. So as you all know who have been here the last several weeks, we've been covering uh, the distinctives of our church, talking about certain things that set our church apart, certain things that we hold to that we believe are biblically prescribed. So uh, we will actually be taking a break from that series this morning because Pastor Tyler reached out to me yesterday afternoon and said he wasn't feeling up to preaching this morning. He had a pretty rough week, wasn't feeling very well, so that impacted his time of preparation. So he said, hey, man, can you step in? And so I said, I'd be more than happy to. So and rather than sitting down and putting together a whole sermon on the Lord's Supper, which would require a little bit more time and study, I said I'd be more than happy to preach a sermon and text that I've preached on multiple occasions before, so that's what we will do this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Luke is in the New Testament. It's the third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7 this morning, and we'll look at verses 36 through 50 wonderful encounter that we have here before us. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, there's some on this table back here to my left, your right, behind you. Please feel free to grab one. That's our gift to you. If you don't own a Bible, we want everyone to have a copy of God's Word. So Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Let's begin. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with her hair, the hair on her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
Then those who were at the table with them began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I come before you this morning as a man who is fallible, man who is limited in his knowledge, who is limited in his understanding, who is desperately in need of the work of the Holy Spirit this morning. For God, apart from you working in and through me and in this space this morning, God, my speaking is in vain. It means nothing. It's empty. It's meaningless. So, Father, I ask that you would use the preaching of your word, you would use this time to turn hearts towards you, to help us each see our desperate need for the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Father, open hearts to receive the truth of these verses this morning. Father, remove any hidden agendas, any pride, anything that would limit us before, uh, from coming before you in the appropriate fashion during this time. Lord, help me to preach with one singular goal, and that is to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever been in trouble? Anybody in here ever been in trouble? Let's say we all have. Maybe for the adults in the room, you have to think back to maybe when you were a kid and you'd broken the rules in your parents' house and you knew some discipline was coming. I can certainly say that was the case for me very often. My parents are sitting on the back row. If you don't believe them, just ask them after service. There were many times that I broke rules and I knew what was awaiting me. I knew the discipline that was to come. Sometimes it was a small infraction. Sometimes it was a larger infraction. But I also recall a time where I had done something pretty severe, something that caused me to be brought home in the back of a police car. And for me, I'm thinking to myself, man, this is it. I'm done. My parents are actually going to kill me this time. But something miraculous happened. I lived. I lived. My parents sat me down and talked to me. They showed me mercy. They demonstrated grace to me. Now, after that encounter, since that was something I hadn't really experienced a lot, how do you think I would respond to that, that demonstration of grace and mercy? Think for yourself. How would you respond to that, knowing that you're guilty, knowing that you're You've, they've got you dead to rights, that you've uh, accrued this debt of guilt. But instead of receiving the punishment, the consequence that is due you, you receive this great mercy, this great forgiveness, this great demonstration of love. How would we respond to that? And that's really what I want to discuss this morning, the loving mercy of God shown through the forgiveness of sins. What I want to point to is the right response to this gospel of grace. Listen, if you're here this morning and you say that you know Jesus and you understand that he's taken the burden of your sin and taken your place upon that cross and borne the wrath that was meant for you, how do we respond to that? What do we do with that? Well, the text before us this morning shows us the response of a woman who had sinned greatly. She had made a mess of her life. She had tainted her reputation. 
But she was also a woman who had come face to face with the life-changing mercy and forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. She knew the forgiveness of this loving Savior, and she was moved to respond in the only appropriate way, by worshiping him. So my hope this morning as we work through this text together is a really simple one. I'm seeking to point you towards the grace and forgiveness of God in hopes that you would respond by completely devoting yourself, for us to completely devote our lives to worshiping Christ Jesus. That's it. That's my aim. That's my goal for our time together this morning. So let us walk through this encounter together. This is a wonderful story, a wonderful narrative. So it begins with one of the Pharisees in verse 36. He's asked Jesus to come have dinner with him. Now, one thing we should know is that uh, in the New Testament scriptures, particularly in the gospel and the life of Jesus Christ, the Pharisees didn't love Jesus. They didn't respect him. They're not asking him to join them for dinner because they respected him as a teacher and they wanted to learn from him. That's not the picture that we have depicted for us of Jesus's relationship with these Pharisees. So, This gentleman obviously had ulterior motives. He was looking to question Jesus, hoping to cause him to stumble in some way to have an accusation to bring against the Lord Jesus. Luke even writes about this in the previous chapter in Luke chapter 6, verse 7. So Jesus is in the synagogue, and it's on the Sabbath day, and there's a man with a withered hand. And the Pharisees are watching Jesus to see if he's going to heal this man on the Sabbath so that they could bring a charge against him. That's what it says in Luke 6, verse 7. It says, And the scribes and Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. So the Pharisees aren't looking to worship or follow Christ here. They were a group that considered themselves superior. They thought they were the religious elite. They thought they could earn their spot in the kingdom. They thought they deserved a spot amongst God's people based on their external performances. See, they did all of the right things. They paid their tithe. They prayed consistently. They were in the synagogue daily worshiping the Lord. They knew the scriptures front to back, and they took pride in that fact. And they hated Jesus because he consistently challenged them on these things. He challenged their self-righteousness, told them that they were whitewashed tombs, that they were a brood of vipers. He tells them that they don't know God. You see, when you tell a bunch of uh, super religious individuals that they don't actually know God, that's the most offensive thing you could say to them. Jesus was not popular amongst this group. Please don't confuse this invitation with an affection for Christ. That's not what this is. So this Pharisee invites Jesus to dine with them and Jesus is at this dinner with these Pharisees, and verse 37 tells us that this woman shows up at the dinner, and not just any woman. It says a woman of the city, a sinful woman. What that means is she was a prostitute. She had quite the reputation. She had lived a sinful life. And so again, to keep in mind where she is, she walks into the house of a Pharisee. I want you to think about this for a moment. I mean, she had no business being there amongst these dignitaries, amongst these 
religious elite. And here's this woman whose shame, whose reputation is known. And she says, I'm going in anyway. You see, where a lot of us would have been apprehensive and worried about what people would have thought about us. Man, what are they going to say about me when I go in there? What are they going to do? What are they going to think about me? They all know what I've done. This woman didn't care. Her sole focus, her desire was to get to Jesus and worship him. She didn't care what people thought about her. She was motivated by Christ. That trumped any feelings of apprehension that she might have had. You see, that speaks really to the glory and the majesty and the attraction, for lack of a better word, of Christ Jesus. And we'll talk about this more in just a little bit. Again, as the people of God, as those who say we're committed to following Christ Jesus, it's my hope and my prayer that we would boldly and courageously pursue him just like this woman did regardless of what may come, regardless of what people say about us, what they think about us, if they block you on social media, if they start avoiding you at work, if they start talking about you behind your back, we don't care about any of that. We're pursuing Christ Jesus because he's infinitely worthy. Amen, somebody. He is infinitely worthy. And as the people of God, we must pursue him wholeheartedly with a boldness like this woman displays here in this encounter. See, the text tells us that she comes in and she's carrying this jar of ointment. She's carrying this big jar of ointment with her and she's standing behind Jesus and she begins to weep. And she starts falling at the feet of Jesus and she began to weep tears on his feet and to wipe them with her hair and She didn't stop there. Now she begins to kiss the feet of Jesus as she anoints them with oil. Again, I want you to just picture this scene, if you will. Imagine what's happening. Here are all these men of influence sitting around the table, and here's Jesus, and here's this woman who busts up in their dinner party and begins to worship the Lord Jesus. An incredible scene we have here. Needless to say, the Pharisee who invited Jesus, he isn't too crazy about this. He's not too thrilled about this woman interrupting their dinner party to worship Jesus. Let's look at verse 39. It says, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So essentially this Pharisee says, man, there's no way that Jesus is a prophet. There's no way this man can be of God. This Jesus of Nazareth, he's a fraud. He's not a prophet. He's not sent from God because if he was, then he would know this woman is a sinner. There's no way he would let such a filthy individual touch him and anoint him. This man must be a fraud. Can't be a prophet. Can't be from God. But here Jesus demonstrates that he is more than just A prophet. You see, he exercises his divine knowledge. If you notice in verse 39, it tells us that the Pharisee said these things to himself. So he doesn't say them out loud. He doesn't say them to someone else. He doesn't say them to Jesus. He says these things to himself. But Jesus answers the man's thoughts. See, Jesus demonstrates that he has perfect knowledge of all things, including the human heart 
including the things that we think about, that we never tell anybody else. See, verse 40 says, he answered Simon the Pharisee. What do you mean he answered him? Again, the man said nothing. See, Jesus knew his thoughts. He knew Simon's heart. Brothers and sisters, that's a reminder that he knows our hearts too. He knows all of our thoughts. Nothing's hidden from the Lord. Nothing is hidden from him. In Luke chapter 5, we find a similar encounter. You see, there's a group of men, and they bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. They're hoping that Jesus will be able to heal their friend. And there's such a massive crowd surrounding Jesus in the house that they can't get in. So they climb on the top of the house on the roof, and they let their friend down through the tiles, and they lay him in front of Jesus. And Jesus says, seeing their faith, your, friend, your sins are forgiven, right? And then they begin to grumble and complain. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 21, it says, And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then it says, When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? See, again, this is a reminder that Jesus knows what's happening right here. He knows what's going on in our minds. We can hide nothing from him. So Jesus doesn't simply respond to Simon. He responds to Simon's thoughts. He knows every single one of them. I want you to ponder on that for a minute. I think one of the greatest fears would be to sit in a room while every one of my thoughts was projected on the screen for the whole world to see. I want you to think about that for a minute. That's terrifying. But the great and glorious reality is, even though God knows our sinful thoughts, he is faithful to redeem. He is a loving and good and glorious God. See, this intimate knowledge that the Lord does indeed have, this demonstrates Jesus' divinity that he knows all of our thoughts, thoughts of pride, thoughts of anger, lust, deceit, all of these things. Listen, we've all sinned. Even if it's not your thought life, it's we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Or maybe it, your actions, right, especially for these Pharisees, when we think about them, their actions lined up. Everything they did externally on the surface seemed to be right and good and true. But their thoughts, the posture of their hearts, see, that is many of us, even on the outside, externally, when we seem to be walking the walk, where are, where are our hearts? What kind of attitudes do we have? You know, I can even think back to this week. Opportunities I had to demonstrate the right attitude, the right heart posture, and I failed in that. Don't always succeed at it. We sin in our thoughts from time to time. And again, the reality is that we're all sinful in the eyes of God. All of us have fallen short of his standards. See, this reality was lost on Simon, though. This Pharisee didn't understand that, again, because of his self-righteous attitude. He did all the right things externally. And he had judged this woman because of her sinful lifestyle, failing to realize his own need for forgiveness. 
And I think that's the problem with a lot of people. This is what hinders them from submitting to Christ Jesus. We don't truly realize how sinful we actually are. We don't comprehend the depths of our sin. We get really good at playing this game of comparison, right? We'll look at others and say, yeah, I might have stumbled a couple of times and made a few mistakes, but man, I'm not like him. At least I'm not like that. Comparatively speaking, I'm doing really, really well. In the book of Romans, Paul takes the time to remind us all in Romans 3.23 that we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard because his standard is one of perfection. And none of us can meet that. Regardless of the individual, doesn't matter how great your life's been, doesn't matter how accomplished you are, it doesn't matter all of your good works and wonderful deeds, we've all fallen short. Paul also reminds us in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. So this is a reminder that we all owe God a debt, which we'll get into that in just a few minutes as well. And the debt is to be paid with our lives. That is what we owe. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you that whether big or small, whether you feel like you've sinned a lot or a little, we all have a debt that needs to be canceled. And Simon didn't get this. He thought he was good because of his external behavior, and he checked all the boxes. But look, let's look at how Jesus responds to him here in verse 41. Jesus shares a parable with him, and he says this, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. So what does Jesus do here? He gives the man a brief parable and talks about a money lender, which would have been a common practice back then. You could borrow money. People did that pretty regularly. And he says there's these two gentlemen, and they've borrowed money from this individual. They both have a debt that they owe, and they both can't repay it. And that would be pretty common back in that day as well. And so if you couldn't pay the debt that you had accrued, you would either have to, one, become a slave to work off the debt that you owed, or two, you would end up in prison. Or worse, depending on who you offended. Right? But Jesus says neither one of these men could pay the debt that they owed, so they're in trouble. It's time to pay up. But then something incredible happens. The moneylender cancels the debt for both of these men, and then Jesus poses a simple question to Simon. He says, which one of these men do you think will love him more? And it's obviously the man who had the greater debt erased. I mean, this is a pretty easy concept for us to understand, right? And I want you to think about a courtroom setting. Think about being in court for a speeding ticket that maybe costs you 100 bucks. Judge says, oh, you're good. I'll take care of it for you. You're free to go. Like, yeah, man, great. It's a good Monday. I want you to think about being in court on charges of first-degree murder. It carries the weight of the death penalty. Not only do they have this charge against you, they got a mountain of evidence to go along with it. And you know what awaits you. 
And then someone steps in and says, I'll take your place. You're free to go. You're forgiven. Now who's going to respond more? Who's going to be more motivated to live a brand new life? Who's going to be changed by that encounter more? The person who got to skip off on their speeding ticket or the man who has a brand new lease on life? I'm free. I have my life back. And that's a simple illustration that Jesus makes here. That shouldn't be hard for us to understand. But here's where we apply it practically to ourselves. We're all guilty before God. We don't need to compare ourselves to each other. We don't need to compare ourselves to man's standard because you're not going to be judged by man. We're going to be judged by God, almighty creator God and his perfect standard. And the reality is because of our sin, we all have a debt that we cannot pay. And praise God for Jesus, the one who's paid it for you and for me. And the wonderful reality is this, for those who are in Christ, he doesn't hold your sins against you. He keeps no record of your wrongdoing. Just like the money lender in this parable, he graciously removes your debt and not because of some condition that you've met. Again, look at the text. It doesn't say that either of the men did anything. They didn't meet some condition. It was just a gracious, loving gesture put forth by this money lender to say your debt is forgiven. It's canceled because of his gracious act. They were pardoned not because of they had earned favor or done something. So for those of us in this room this morning that are in Christ Jesus, that are eternally free. And it's not because we've earned the favor of God. It's because he has graciously and lovingly set us free because of the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. See, Isaiah 53 tells us that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. See, the debt that we owe, the consequence that should have been mine, was laid on my Savior. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. John chapter 1, verse 29 tells us that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you've been with us through the book of John, then you know we had a wonderful time walking through that passage and just what a beautiful truth that is. Such a short and simple statement, but it's so profound, eternity-altering. He takes away the sin of the world. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the reality that Jesus Christ brings for his people. It's the wonderful reality for those that are in Christ. We are eternally and freely forgiven. See, God is a loving and forgiving God, and we don't just see that in the New Testament in Christ Jesus. We see that in the Old Testament as well. This wonderful covenant that God had established with his people, 
And even when they sinned and turned from him over and over and over again, God is faithful to keep his word and maintain his covenant and his promises over and over and over again to continue to redeem and deliver his people in spite of their sin. God is a faithful and loving and patient and forgiving God. Amen. Amen. See, God's plan for salvation culminates in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This woman understood who Jesus was. See, she had lived a life full of mistakes and failures and misplaced affections, taking pleasure everywhere else but the Lord. But she understood the forgiveness and the redemption that she had, the mercy that was given to her. She knew she was unworthy. She knew she was undeserving, and she demonstrated the only right response to a God that forgives and wipes away every sin, a God like no other. She fell at his feet and worshiped him. Total surrender, devotion to this great Savior. Brothers and sisters, I would ask you, is that you, is that us this morning? Are we like this woman, completely devoted to Jesus Christ? Do we see him for the glorious Savior that he is? Are we compelled to follow Christ, to worship him with all that we have and all that we are? Do you truly understand the magnitude of the forgiveness that is yours because of Jesus Christ? If you do, there's only one appropriate response, and that is to worship him. Again, Simon the Pharisee didn't understand that. It was totally lost on him. He didn't understand his need for forgiveness and salvation. Let's look at verse 44. Actually, verses 44 through 48. I'll just read them quickly. It says, then turning toward the woman, this is Jesus, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. She has loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. So Simon, because he was devoted to himself and his external behaviors, he doesn't see the need to worship Christ Jesus. Although what Jesus says here, he says, he who is forgiven little loves little. And I want us to think about that for a minute because I think that's a lot of us. There are a lot of people who have been blessed to not have wandered and strayed and lived what we would call a radical life. There are many folks who don't have what we would call a radical testimony, where they spent time behind bars, or they were lost in a world of drug abuse and violence and all of these things, and you've been blessed. You've received an enormous amount of grace that God has spared you from that. But I think the danger in that with some people, and this is not across the board, I'm not saying that's for everybody, so if you're in here and your story is what we would call, quote-unquote, a simple one, Right? Maybe you didn't have that wild, crazy lifestyle. I think the danger in that for some people 
is that they can't truly appreciate the salvation that's been given to them, the forgiveness that is theirs. Again, we start to compare and say, well, I didn't really, I, I'll take Jesus, but I don't know if I really needed him because I was pretty good anyway. I didn't really sin that often. It wasn't like this guy over here. And then I think there are many who understand the depth and depravity of their sin. Many who were lost in the world in darkness, like the prodigal son who was so far from the Lord, was desperate. And so when you understand you've been forgiven of much, you love much. That was this woman's reality. She knew how far she had fallen. So she loved Jesus because she understood he wiped her slate clean. She had the greater debt. Although all of us have a great debt before God. Christian, I want to encourage you. Listen, no matter what your story is this morning, praise God for his salvation because you're lost without him. Lost without him. See, Simon, again, was blind to the glory of Jesus. He had no motivation, no honor to worship Jesus. So some of the things Jesus lists here, giving him water to wash his feet, greeting him with a kiss, these were all customary things. These are things you just did normally if you invited someone to your home. And Simon withheld these things from Jesus. thinking his heart was in the wrong place. He didn't honor or praise Jesus accordingly. But for as much as Simon neglected and ignored Christ, giving him the honor that he was due, this woman flung herself at the feet of Jesus. She cast herself on the mercies of Christ, falling at his feet and worshiping him. You see, when you understand just how lost and just how broken and utterly hopeless you are under the weight of your sin, and then you meet Jesus in all of his saving glory, and you understand that he's taken the punishment that was meant for you, and you realize that you're forgiven time and time again, and you've received an infinite and abundant amount of grace and mercy that changes everything. You cannot be the same person. What else do you do? If you understand that and you've encountered it, how else do you respond? Verse 47 tells us, Jesus says to her, you're her sins are forgiven, for she has loved much. Now, this verse here can cause a little bit of confusion. I want to clarify here. Jesus is not saying that this woman is forgiven because she's loved him so much, right? That would be to the detriment of the parable that he just shared. That would be saying, oh, she did something to earn this forgiveness. Again, when you read it in the context with the parable that Jesus shares, those two men didn't do anything. They didn't meet any conditions to receive this forgiveness of their debts. So Jesus isn't saying, oh, she's forgiven because of how much she's loved me. He's saying because, or she's loved me so much because her sins have been forgiven. That's what motivates her love for Jesus. Listen, that's a great reminder to us this morning that there is nothing we can do, no good works, no amount of exemplary behavior, no following the letter of the law can move God to forgive us. It's all by his grace, all a gift of his grace. What a glorious reality that is that God chooses to save 
any of us. See, it wasn't the act of anointing Jesus or weeping at his feet that saved this woman. And we know that because of what Jesus says here in verse 50. I'll just read the last couple of verses. Verse 48, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So this sinful woman is forgiven of her sins, not because of her great love for Christ or by her act of worship, but by her faith in Jesus Christ. It is the object of her faith that has saved her. Christ Jesus, faith in him. Brothers and sisters, that's it. It's through faith in Christ that we are saved. Listen, to everyone in this room, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, I want you to know, listen, if you're striving in some way to try to make God love you, that's an exercise in futility. It is by faith, and particularly, again, faith in Jesus Christ that we are forgiven. We are recipients of God's saving grace. And so Jesus tells this woman, he says, your sins are forgiven. Of course, the response of Simon and the re religious elite there is what we'd expect from them. See, they begin to grumble and complain. And who is this man who forgives sins? <clears throat> Questioning and denying the authority and superiority of Christ. And how can this guy forgive sins? Who is he? Only God can forgive sins. Well, about that. He's the son of God, so I think that's within his realm to do. In fact, this reminds us that Jesus is the only avenue to salvation as the son of God and the savior of the world, but these men couldn't see it that way. They did not see their own need for forgiveness. See, as we prepare to close our time, I I think it's important for us to remember that we're all just like this sinful woman. She may have had a more, more checkered past. Her sin may have been more egregious. But we're all just like her. We've all given our heart to other things. We've all sinned and turned from God. We're all in need of his saving grace. We must each see our need for the Lord's salvation, our need for his mercy and forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, don't be blinded by your self-righteousness as Simon was. Don't bank on your performance. Don't bank on your accomplishments. All of these things, we all need God's salvation. My hope is that those of you who are here this morning who have maybe never settled on that reality, Maybe you've never come to face to face with that truth. I hope that changes for you this morning. I hope you understand that truth today. And more importantly, other than just understanding your sin and your need for a savior, more importantly, I hope that you're seeing your sin and that without Christ, you are hopeless. I hope that you see your sin, but even more so, I hope you see the glory of Jesus Christ. I hope you see him as a worthy and capable Savior, one who's willingly laid down his life, who's come to save a people for himself. 
See, that's the beautiful truth of the gospel message. If you think back to the uh, illustration or the example that I used to begin this sermon where I talk about parenting, right? I'm talking about my parents and my own experience with them. Man, the gospel is drastically and greater, uh, infinitely greater than that. The forgiveness, the mercy, the grace that's extended to sinners is even greater than that. There's not an example in the world that even compares to what God has done for sinners through Jesus Christ. And that is freely available to you today. Every person in this room. I hope that you understand that. I hope that we leave this place understanding our need for a Savior, understanding that Christ is infinitely capable and that we would respond in worship, that we would be people who dedicate our lives to living for the glory of Jesus, honoring him with the way that we live, May we love one another, bring glory to the name of Jesus as the great Savior. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, I thank you. And I thank you for this great reminder here in these verses that we are sinful and that we are in need. Father, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice this morning. Lord, anyone in here who may have come in with this idea of self-righteousness, thinking they don't need to be saved, thinking they're okay without you, God, I pray that you would penetrate their hearts today, right now even, that they would understand that we all are in desperate need of you that they would lay down their self-righteousness, their sin and rebellion. And God, we would understand that like this sinful woman, we must pursue you. And we understand that we have been forgiven. For those of us who have experienced the grace and mercy of Christ Jesus, help us to live lives that are committed to worshiping and honoring you. Lord, even for the rest of the time that we have here together this morning in this service, pray that that's our goal, that that's our focus, our motivation seeing you as the great and glorious Savior, and responding the only way we can by devoting our lives, our time, our effort, our energy to worshiping and exalting the name of Christ Jesus. For you alone are worthy. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.